Welcome. Let's join best-selling author Fred Kuhn as he interviews our next guest expert. Welcome, everybody. Our guest today is Alexander Lowry. He is also a podcaster, and you should listen to his podcast called Boardroom Bound. He is also the professor of finance at Gordon College, and he's currently working with multiple early stage and middle market businesses. He has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Economist, Forbes, Router, Reuters, excuse me, radio and major television networks. So all I can say is, wow, and welcome, Alexander. Thanks, Fred. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Fintech, that's the way you kind of describe what you're doing, which is new applications, processes, products, business models in the financial services industry, uh, and so forth. And I haven't even scratched the surface. So why don't you just tell us a little about what fintech is from your perspective, since you teach finance. And Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll do it at a high level that everybody in the audience can follow. So basically, if you're thinking of financial services, if you go think back 20, 30 years ago, you'll remember ATM machines were new and cutting edge and they were scary and people didn't know how to use them. Now to the point where that was fintech back then. Now it's like, well, that's the standard we expect. ATM machines are now amazing computers. So if you see the newest ones that are coming in, they'll, they'll change the height, they'll change the angle, they'll change the screen. They can do more than most human beings can. And that's basic stuff, right? So you can think about how some of the online companies are processing credit applications in 30 seconds. Uh, FinTech, if you think about just technology, how it's changing financial services, the sky's the limit. A lot of people hear about Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. That's an example of the development and how things are changing or the blockchain but the possibilities are being reimagined. So if you think about JP Morgan, my prior company, when we build in a, a location now, it's a much smaller branch. It has many fewer people, and the people there are doing higher level tasks and the lower level stuff is being done by machines, and it's really just changing the way the business works. It's really amazing. I had did a podcast a week ago or so on AI, and it was just almost overwhelming, the rapidity of change, the, the swiftness and the dynamics of change. And if you're not ahead of the curve, you're, you're probably not going to be around very long. The world is changing. The business models are very different. And people are trying to predict what it's going to look like in the future. <laughs> if you can predict that, you probably can break Wall Street. So, <laughs> yeah, with your crystal ball. So you, you work with boards. You teach the finance uh, master's degree program at Gordon. So you work with boards, you work with people and you work with multi-generations. What lessons have you learned from the boardroom and working in the boardroom? What is so exciting about a boardroom? Well, the boardroom is changing dramatically. We talked about how fintech is changing financial services. The boardroom is changing dramatically. One simple example is the word diversity is now the flavor of everything when you talk about boards. And for some people, that means having more females in the boardroom. For me, it's a lot more than that. It's also not just skin color. It's about background and expertise, global perspectives. It's also sort of different technology stuff. So it used to be in the old days to get on a board, you were friends with the CEO. You probably played golf. You'd have some drinks together and you were mates so you would 
you'd be asked to be on this board. Nowadays, you have a specific specialization and an expertise. So think about we were talking about technology before. Cyber risk is a big deal as an example. Social media, marketing, that sort of stuff is so important now. Some companies want someone on the board who understands that. Often that's a younger person. So the boards are actually changing how they look, how they think, the way they do things. And it's really fun to be part of that growth and transition. I hadn't thought about the the fact that the cybersecurity is such a monumental part of data. It's such a monumental part of a, a concern for a corporation, or at least it should be. And well, yet JP the people Morgan, on the board, example, they, they just, they know what the term means, but they couldn't get out and code anything. So it's, you know. Well, in fairness, not all boards are really good at it, right? So they might be thinking, we need to bring a specialist in who can be helpful with that. And and let me ask you this. Now we're going to segue into a couple of interesting questions. All right, we've got a board. They're generally boomers. And they say, well, let's bring in a specialist. They don't mean a board member. They mean a consultant, right? Often, often. But the way that, uh, and ideally the way a board would work is they're going to have a matrix of skill sets. And they're going to understand the composition of the board that's around the room. And everybody has certain skills. Let's pretend, let's make it simple. This matrix has 12 different types of skill sets on it. And they know of every board member, which of the different boxes they check, their primary, or secondary, or their tertiary. And so they're looking at that and they're saying, well, where, where are we deficient? Maybe we don't have enough on risk. We don't have enough on social. We don't have this, that, or the other. And they're also looking at it in terms of, well, how long have our board members been around? And if all of these people have been around a long time, they're all concentrated in one of the skills matrix, we need to think about getting someone new in to train them up and be ready for the long-term future there. So in some ways, they're all stepping back and doing their perspective of, are we able to cover everything we need to? And part of that is the generations. Are we able to think in different ways to make sure that we can think about our constituents? And the constituents could be employees, they could be customers, they could be investors, shareholders, stakeholders, whoever it might be. So how does a board, I know we're diverting a little bit here, but it it relates back to the younger, recruiting younger or recruiting diversity, which doesn't just mean race or gender. How does a board go about doing that? We have to be very clear about the distinction between management and the board. So the board is not there to do the work. So the easiest way I would describe it is when you go from being in the C-suite of management to go into the board, you change your mindset, your fingers out and your nose is in. You're no longer your fingers in, right? You're now guiding, you're coaching, you're giving policy, but you're not implementing, you're not doing the work. So the board is going to be getting reports. They're going to be giving feedback. They're going to want to check, are you meeting the strategic aims that you set for as a business? And therefore, if not, what corrective action should we think about? But then management goes and implements. So the board's job is to make sure that management is thinking the way that they need to, is considering the topics at hand. And so board members, we talk about different specialization, but they're also at conference. They're also reading topics or on the books. They're in the news. They're connecting with people. They're making sure that they're able to come up with everything that they need to, to make sure no stone is uncovered. So let's go to the, the one of the focus areas of today's podcast. So the boardroom has decided that cybersecurity is important or social or whatever is whatever the particular agenda is, how are they grappling and trying to recruit these younger and more specific skilled individuals? 
the easiest way the board finds someone to come in is instill the vast majority of jobs are through personal networking because you think about maybe 12 people sitting around the room they meet every so often for very clear intense decisions that drive the course of the business they want to make sure it's someone who's going to be a fit with them culturally and also someone they trust and vouch so I don't know, two-thirds, three-quarters of jobs are still filled by, by individual word of mouth, by a recommendation, someone who's on there. Headhunters are a very common source. Otherwise, the executive search talent firms. But those two are what fill the majority of it. So they will have a special remit of, we know that we need someone with an expertise in this that can bring this perspective that maybe we're training up to be the future leader of this organization because the chair is going to be retiring in three years. They are mapping that out, and it's no longer just, who's my friend? Very few of the public company boards can even think like that anymore because there's so much attention to what they're doing. So they're being very intentional. They're saying, we know that we need someone who can target our customer base and be thoughtful about the way that we reach out in social media and give us this perspective. And they are actively going out and seeking people in their networks. And if they need to go to the executive search firms, giving them a candidate profile to go out and find. You and I both know that the millennials X and Y are going to be the predominant number in the workforce very shortly. And the question is, do the wise and the millennials have the expertise and savvy to join those boards? Or is it just looking for specific technical? Because a board decision, a board votes, and they may vote on something that has nothing to do with this individual's technical savvy. Going back to the cybersecurity interest again. So, how do you educate that younger board member to be able to engage in some of these other financial decisions? That's a great question. The reality is you need to have a massive learning curve in your career before you're able to sit on a board. Now, let's pretend we're talking about a large public company board. Let, we can use JP Morgan as my example of my former employer. To be ready to be on that level, you have had to have run divisions. You maybe run a company. Most people are on boards have been in the C-suite because they've managed people. They've been international. If you haven't had those experiences, you can't bring that to bear. You learn to be a doer first in the business as you move up the ranks before you can manage others who are doers. And for people who are thinking about, I want to be in a board in five or 10 years, maybe I'm just starting out in my career, that is wonderful. And you can start getting experience, say, on some nonprofits to understand what you need to do, be in the boardroom to begin to build that network. But it's going to be for most people, 10, probably 20 or plus years before you're ready, especially for a significant board role. Now, it might be very different to be, say, an advisor for a startup if you're a specialist, but being a specialist alone is not enough to get a board seat. So what your advice is, as a younger executive, get involved in the community, get involved in organizations, accept responsibility in growing levels, try to find yourself on a board of a nonprofit or other organization. And that then helps you understand the dynamics of a board. And then the experience that you bring from your own managing your own company or divisions of larger companies, it all adds up into one product, which is potential board members. Is that correct? I think that sums it up pretty well. And there are some more nuances around it. But for example, think about if you join a nonprofit board. So for example, I'm on the YMCA around here, which is one of the 30 largest Ys in the country. That's a phenomenal network that I'm tapped into while I'm doing good for the community and building on my skill set. So that's a wonderfully symbiotic relationship there. 
So it really doesn't matter the organization or should you try to target organizations that are closer aligned with your skills or is it just the fact get on one and get that on your resume? Great question. You need to start somewhere, but I would argue you don't just start somewhere. You want to start something that you're passionate about because this is a side gig and hopefully it's something that you're really excited in because you're going to be investing time and energy. And my view is if you invest in something that you're excited about, homelessness, whatever nonprofit you want to be focused on, that's an area where you're going to bring your best game. You're going to do really good work. So the people who are seeing you and building that experience, you're going to be building a good network just as a result of the fact that you're excited to work there. You might also want ones that give you more stretch opportunities or new skill sets you haven't had before. I don't think you join any board. I encourage everyone to have an abundance mentality. You'll be having lots of opportunities as you do well. If you are excellent at what you do, more will come to you. So don't take the first one. Wait for the right one. Build it and they will come, right? (laughs) I've heard that before. I wish it were original. (laughs) Folks, we have spent a wonderful time here at Workplace Strategies with Alexander Lowry, who has a great podcast called Boardroom Bound. Go check it out. You can find it. He is the professor of finance at Gordon College. And Alexander, I thank you very much for joining us today on Workplace Strategies. Fred, it was a pleasure. Thank you for visiting with us. We welcome your comments and suggestions and look forward to having you join us soon at Workplace Strategies.